Good morning, church. Man, I am pumped that you guys are here this morning to celebrate our risen Savior. And in this holiday season, we also think back to the manger and the birth uh, story as well. We're going to do that over the next few weeks. But what an exciting time to be together as the family of God, to lift his name up in praise, to gather around the Lord's table, to encourage each other on the journey. Man, I'm so glad that you're here this morning to do just that. If you are a guest with us, man, we're so glad that you're here with us and a part of our time together. We would hope, of course, if you are looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to consider coming to Cross Point, having your family here to help share that story of Jesus Christ and the lots of different ministry opportunities that we have going on. We'd love to have you as part of our time here uh, together. And I can't move on without saying, man, we had a great party here last night. I know the women's ministry put on a great time. Yes. This room, if you were here, you remember all the tables that were set, the decor that was set, and by 9.25, the room looked just like it does right now. We have some great volunteers that stayed around and helped put everything back together. I know we had lots of decorating, a lot of cooking, a lot of serving, and then resetting the auditorium. If you had anything to do with that event last night and you gave your time, please stand and be recognized. We want to say thank you for your time uh, that you shared with us. Thank you. There is always something going on here around Cross Point, and uh, we love uh, how busy we are because it puts us together and it puts us glorifying God. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and so I hope you've got your Bibles, and we'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a moment to look at a familiar story, but hopefully come at it from a different direction maybe than you've anticipated uh, before. We'll be there in just a moment as we kick off this series today called Kingdom Come. And over the next four weeks, we're going to dig into the gospel accounts of the story of Jesus' birth, and we're going to look at it from different angles and come at it from a different direction, and I hope that the Spirit will place upon you something in your heart maybe you haven't heard or seen before, uh, that God is doing incredible things in your life and in the life of Crosspoint here, Uh, and so I hope that you'll open your mind and heart to new ways to see that gospel message and that gospel story. You know, we are a people who do not like to wait. Anybody here just love waiting around? No, no, we don't like to wait. We are Americans and we want it now. Uh, we like getting everything happening in, in a fluid moment and here we go. There's no waiting around. And it just doesn't happen in the holiday season. It happens all year long. The moment you're waiting around for the tax refund check that doesn't ever seem to show up. Uh, the moment you're waiting on her to pick a place to go eat that evening. Uh, there's lots of waiting that happens in our lifetime. Sometimes you're at that red light and it doesn't seem to turn green and you're ready just to go, go, go. You know, more, uh, a better place to kind of give an example of the waiting that happens is at the airport. Raise your hand if you've ever flown before. Yeah, most of us in here have had that experience. I mean, you get to the airport and you get in line to get checked in. They're checking your bag through and you're in line and you're waiting and you're waiting and you finally get through. Uh, You're on your way to your gate and you see the Starbucks and so you go in to get a coffee and the line is out the door. You wait there in line anyway. Uh, and then, of course, after you have coffee, you've got to go to the restroom. So you wait in that line in the, in the, ho- in the hotel, in the airport as well. Uh, you get to your gate, and you're waiting on your airplane to actually come so you can get on the airplane. And then once seated on the airplane, you wait for the pushback. 
until finally you reach your destination and you get off the airplane and you walk to that baggage carousel and you do what? Wait. Man, you guys are tracking today. That's good. Yeah, you wait at the baggage carousel and it seems like it takes forever. As a matter of fact, many years ago, there were lots of complaints coming from customers having to wait so long at the baggage carousel. And so uh, the powers that be got together and thought through, how do we remedy this problem? How do we reduce the amount of complaints that are coming out of the baggage claim area? And so they brilliantly thought up something that we still experience today. You may not know this, but they took the arrival gate and put it further away from the baggage claim because we don't like to wait. So they had to give us something to do. And what we do is we walk forever in the airport to get to the baggage claim. It's true. I mean, in some airports, it's big enough that you actually have to get on a little train to go to another concourse to get to the baggage claim area. It still takes the same amount of time to get bags off an airplane and get them to that location. But now they've given us something to do. So we are people who just don't like to wait. And we think that, okay, now finally I'm not waiting anymore. You're just walking. That's all you're doing instead of waiting. But you and I, we've got to figure out in this life, as we live out how Christ has called us to live, how do we learn to wait in the in-between period? Wow, that was right on cue. (laughs) Polka music, man, that's... Sometimes, though, in life, it does seem like, figuratively figuratively speaking, that we're sitting and waiting at the baggage carousel for something to drop. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes in our life, sometimes it feels like our prayers are actually complaint cards. Because you and I, we pray for things all the time that sometimes we feel don't seem to happen. We pray for more income when, in fact, we feel like there's been another bill dropped on us. Sometimes we pray for health. And it seems like we can't shake the sickness that's in our home that's been around for three weeks or three months or what's seemingly a lifetime. Sometimes we pray for, for wisdom, but we find ourselves picking ourselves up off the floor from another poor choice that we made along the way. And it feels like we are waiting for things to come together in our life. There is an author by the name of Lewis Smedes who has a great quote about waiting. And he says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And isn't that last sentence so true? Waiting is the hardest work of hope. So what do we do in our life in between the glorious impossible and the second coming of Christ? Because that's where we find ourselves in the story of God. His birth happened some 2,000 years ago, and now we await him coming back to take us home with him. We live in the in-between moment. 
You know, there's some denominations out there that do this thing in December called Advent. We don't necessarily do it here at Crosspoint, but some really go over and above with this thing called Advent. And for four Sundays in a row, and then a fifth, which would be uh, Christmas Eve, they really talk about the story of Jesus Christ. And there are pieces of that story that unfold physically around the church building as well. Advent simply means coming. And it's the coming of the Christ child that we celebrate this time of year. It's a moment this time of year where we don't really know the time of year Jesus was born, but it's the time that the world sets aside to say we want to remember that God came in the flesh, that that he walked among us, that God loved us that much to send his son. It's a moment this time of year, Advent, that we look back at the Christ being born story, that he did come. It's a baby in a manger. It's a precious story indeed. We typically think Advent and we think backwards, but it's also a moment for us to lean forward in the anticipation of the second Advent of Jesus Christ, his second coming. And we lean toward that moment in anticipation of his return for us. We absolutely want to celebrate Jesus' birth this time of year, but we also want to live in such a way that we are anticipating the return of the King. We know He is coming. We live in that moment. Someone has called that, that moment in time the already but the not yet. The already but, but, but the not yet. Now, I don't know about you guys, but... Most everybody is decorating their homes right now at the Hall's house. We've got all the Christmas going on inside, the Christmas lights on the outside. We are ready. There are no gifts under the tree yet with my name on it. I'm a little disturbed about that, but it'll be okay. But for some of us, we may already have gifts under the tree, gifts that have someone's name on it. And if it's a grandchild or maybe your own child, you know that they sit there, they shake that gift when you're not looking, they measure it, they wonder what is in this box with my name on it. And they sit there and they Google all of the the gifts that are under the tree, how beautiful they are, and they count how many they have. Because see, they're living in that moment right now. The already, but the not yet. They already have that gift. It's got their name on it, but I haven't opened it yet. I don't quite have it. It's mine, but not really. Not just yet. And the psalmist says that all of creation waits in anticipation for the return of the king. Isn't that one line absolutely beautiful? That not only we, but all of creation waits for the return of Jesus Christ. See, the gift of Jesus has already been given, but we've not fully experienced the gift yet, and we wait for that moment to happen. Our story this morning is out of Matthew chapter 1. And you see, Joseph receives some news about a pregnancy. And it was news that he was not anticipating. I mean, his world just kind of blows up. He's in a season of waiting on God. 
He doesn't know what the storyline looks like. Now, we look at the story of Jesus' birth and we think sweet and precious and what an awesome story, and it is all of those things. But remember, Joseph is at the front end of the story. He doesn't know. It hasn't been written. His world is seemingly out of control, and it's beyond his imagination what is happening in front of him. It's happening in a way that he never dreamed of and initially never would have wanted Joseph is looking at this story that God is telling him is unfolding, and he's like, hang on just a moment. I'd like to wait. Let's slow down. Let's think about this. And our story begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, beginning. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant with, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. In two verses, we have someone's world has turned upside down. But I want to describe for a moment what the pledge, what the engagement looks like for Joseph and Mary because it's very different than the way we get engaged today. Today it is, do you love me? Yes, it's great. Let's go get a sonic together and talk about it. There's a ring exchanged. If somebody messes up along the way, someone could say, you know, no. This, this should not be. And they walk away, and, and things generally are okay. Not so with Joseph and his culture. Because you see, when they become pledged to be married, when they become engaged to be married, it is a legal binding contract. Now, these families probably had known each other for some time. Joseph and Mary probably had known each other for some time. And the families decided this is probably a good thing. Joseph said yes. Mary said yes. And so both of their dads sat down at a table over a glass of wine, and they talked about the price that it would cost to get Mary to marry Joseph. And I don't know what the price was, maybe two cows, a goat, and a flock of sheep. I don't know what it was, but it was no doubt something along that line. And they agreed to be married. They solidified that legal contract, and now the two were engaged. It's legally binding, and if they decide all of a sudden that the engagement's just not going to work out, Joseph actually has to give Mary a certificate of divorce. That's how powerful that moment is. Now, divorce is just the English word that our English translators came up with for the word apoluo, which in the Greek simply means to send away. But Joseph, if the engagement is broken, has to give her that piece of paper so it shows legally they've separated and now she can legally remarry, become engaged yet again. And even if before marriage, Mary or Joseph had been sexually active, Mary would have been guilty of adultery, and they're not even married yet. With that conviction in their society, she would have had drawn all of that legal ramification that comes with committing adultery. And at the end of the day, it's a crime that is punishable by death. I mean, the wording in the story actually reminds us that although just engaged, Joseph is still called her husband. It's that 
that much weight of the legal moment that they have come together as two families, as two people to say, we want to live life together. So when Mary comes up pregnant and Joseph knows he has not physically been around Mary, it is an incredible crisis for Joseph. I mean, every dream that he ever had for their family is gone. Every plan that he had made for future was absolutely crushed. It no longer existed. But notice in our text that it says Joseph was a good man. Another translation says he was a righteous man. And that's a very technical term to use in the original. It reminds us that Joseph had protected theologically, socially, and culturally his reputation, his name from the get-go. Joseph was a good man who had done everything in his life to please God, had done everything in his life to get along with all those around. He was impeccable in his reputation. By the age of 10, Joseph would have already memorized the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. He went to synagogue every week. He obeyed the Sabbath. He honored his mom and dad. He did not lie about his neighbors. He didn't covet what they had. He had a hard work ethic. Joseph was a good man. He did everything within his power to be everything God had created him to be. And now he gets the news that his fiancée, whom he hasn't been with, is pregnant. And his world is coming apart. The world that he worked so hard for. And he had options. Lots of different options on the table. I mean, if a woman is caught having sexual relations outside of her own marriage bed, she would be publicly disgraced and humiliated, taken to a part of town, stripped down and mocked, and if the full length of the law was imposed, taken to the city gate and stoned to death. And Joseph is weighing all of this out. Joseph doesn't want to do that because he loves Mary. He's been hurt. He's angry. He's upset. He's been punched in the stomach. He, he, he's lost. But it says Joseph was a good man. And he didn't want to hurt Mary. And our story continues in verse 20. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word there considered is also deep. It has all the emotional ramifications you can imagine making a decision like this. Joseph has wrung his hands. He has sweated. He has had sleepless nights thinking about, how do I move around this story? What needs to happen, not only to me, but to Mary? I love her, but this is not how I had planned things. What is the community going to do? It's full of this emotion. But then an angel shows up and says, we're going to go a different direction. I can only imagine Joseph in his interaction. Oh, great. Don't you think it might have been better if you'd showed up earlier in the story and told me this was a thing of God rather than me worrying about all of this all of a sudden? Wouldn't it have been helpful for you to approach me early on in the process and say, hey, God is a part of what is going on. Don't worry about it. But that's not how things rolled out. They, they heavenly host, let Joseph 
worry about what was happening in front of him. His world is falling apart. Initially, he says yes to Mary. Let's get married. And then the pregnancy is revealed. And he says, I'm going to quietly send her away. So he changes his plans. And now an angel shows up and says, nope, this is of God. And so once again, Joseph changes his plans. He's open. He's listening. He's wrestling, wanting to do the right thing. And our story continues in verse 21. And the angel said, Mary will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary to be his wife. It wouldn't have been much of a wedding anyway. I mean, Mary's pregnant. Everyone looking on would have assumed what's happened. Friends and family wanting to stay pure and righteous would have stayed away. They would not have attended. Even later in Jesus' own life, people call him, isn't that Mary's son? But in a patristic society like Jesus lived in, that would not have been the way it worked. You see, sons were known by their father's name. And it's an indication that the event was not soon forgotten. Because even in Jesus' adulthood, they're asking, isn't that Mary's son? Joseph's name is not mentioned. Now, we don't know much about Joseph, but we do know he was a carpenter. I know a little bit about carpentry. And I know if Joseph is like me, I want plans. I want to know what's going on. I want to know all the pieces that come together to make this thing. I I want something sketched on paper. I want to see numbers. I want a blueprint. I want to know who's in the room when I walk into the room. If Joseph is anything like that, that's the kind of person he is. He wants to know what's in front of him. But now he doesn't know the outcome to his story. And he is waiting on God's plan to unfold. What the angel tells Joseph in this story will be beneficial for you and me today as well. Because many of us in here are waiting for God's plan to unfold. We're not sure direction. We're not exactly understanding what's going on in my particular moment. And so we wait for God's plan to unfold. But when we look at what the angel tells Joseph, he's also telling us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, you've had that moment before in your life where you are scared what people might say. Well, if they knew I was running around with him or her, if, if I go and show up at this party and then return over here, if they see me talking to this person, if I do this particular thing and we wonder what people are going to say about us and in our story, Joseph is worried about what they're going to say and do to Mary. He is he's stressed. What's going to happen? How, how am I going to provide for an instant family? I was not prepared for that. And now all of a sudden there's a baby on the way. 
How do I make all of this work? There's a scale that a couple of doctors came up with in the late 60s. The scale is called the LCUs of life. You can look it up on the internet. It'd be interesting for you to find out where you're at on that scale. Don't do it during the sermon. Do it after this afternoon. LCU stands for Life Change Unit. They began to measure the stresses that people have in their own lives, and they would take one moment in a life, and they would, they would give it a numerical value. For instance, if there is marital separation, like a divorce, they gave that a 65. If, if you are pregnant, they gave that a 40. If... If there was going to be an additional family member added to the family, that was like a 38. If you're traveling in the holiday season, it's like a 12. And for some of us, we know that number is actually a lot higher. (laughs) But when you add up in your moment in time all the stressors that are going on, you add up those numbers, the doctors said that if you hit the number 300 or larger, you are on the verge of mental collapse or physical ailment. You are about to go down quickly. If that number's 300. Now, depending on how you add it up, when you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph in his moment in our story this morning is at about 400 to 450. Joseph has a lot of stressors in his life. He's not sure which way to go. It's this moment where the perfect storm happens in a seemingly negative way for both Joseph and Mary. And you understand exactly what that feels like. Because you have things going on in your life as well that you want answers for. And there doesn't seem to be really any answers. The holiday season for you is not calm and bright It's more chaotic because you feel the stress and the weight of the responsibilities that you have in your life, the responsibility to put food on the table. Am I going to get laid off at the end of the holiday season? How do I get from A to B during this particular moment in time? My kid is still sick. The marriage isn't going how I had hoped, and there are moments that don't shake out like you had hoped they would. There is also the stress of the relationships you have in your life. Maybe, maybe your adult children are not talking to you really anymore. There's not a lot of interaction there. Maybe your boss is coming down on you hard in the workplace. Maybe you know at some point you're going to have to go to that family holiday gathering and in that room is someone who did something bad to you a long time ago and you don't know if you're going to be able to make it through that moment. And you and I sometimes live in fear when we're living in between the two spaces. You feel like things are out of control when like Joseph and like me, you'd rather everything just fit together nicely. There are moments in your life and mine where we are afraid, and someone defined fear as a heightened vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. This idea, symbolically, if you can think this way, that you're standing kind of open and naked before everyone and you can really do nothing about it. You've had that feeling before. It's difficult that we find 
Joseph there in our story as we live in between the glorious impossible and the second return of Jesus Christ. As we live in that moment, there's a tendency to live in fear because we're not exactly sure how the story is unfolding in our own life. It's as if you're standing at the baggage carousel and nothing is dropping. Nothing that you see that makes sense to you. And God leans into your story and he says, don't be afraid. Because I know things that you don't know. I see things that you can't see. I'm always with you. Even when you don't feel me present, I am there. Don't be afraid. The second thing the angel says to Joseph is take Mary home to be your wife. Now, a small caveat right here. If you are not married to a Mary, but you know a Mary, don't take her home. That's not going to work out well. So we'll dig under that moment to discover what's God telling us right here in this moment. Because that's not what Joseph was going to do. He was not going to take Mary home to be his wife. He had weighed the options, and although very tough and difficult, he made the decision to quietly send her away. But the angel shows up and says, we're going to do something a little different than you had planned. The story is going to go a little different direction than maybe you thought it was going to go. And sometimes in our life, we are hit with things that we're not prepared for, things that we're not ready for. And God says, don't be afraid. Know that I'm with you. Here's the direction that we're going to go. And so in order to facilitate that, maybe a little bit better, maybe you and I this holiday season and moving forward should be prepared to say and ask this question, God, how do you want me to change my plans? Because I've got these traditions, I've got these people I go see, I've got this thing that I always do, but then there are always things that come in that he's trying to get our attention on. And so maybe to have a receptive heart, a receptive mind, Begin by asking God this question because there are moments that will happen that you are not prepared for. But when we enter into dialogue with God, maybe we're better prepared for. I remember December 1983, I was 15 years old, probably too young to fully understand the the pressure on my father. Because we got a phone call really late at night that my grandfather had had a massive heart attack. His father... And so we piled in the car late at night. It was icy. It was snowing. We got out on the interstate and we started down the road. And wouldn't you know it, there was an 18-wheeler that had jackknifed way up the line. And we sat literally not moving for two hours on the interstate. I cannot imagine what my father must have been going through. I need to get to the hospital. Will I get there before he passes away? What's my mother dealing with right now? I need to be there. And there will be moments in your life too when things are going to be dropped on you that you were not ready for, you were not expecting. And so in the moment, we wrestle with the Holy Spirit and ask God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to change my plans in this moment? We deal with fear and anxiety in our life each and every day and we're called to put our trust in God. And in verse 21 is our third thing the angel says. He says, put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. 
the angel leans into a very confused Joseph's life and he says, hang with me. Don't be afraid. This is going to be worth it. This is going to blow you away. This story, how it unfolds, is going to be phenomenal. As a matter of fact, it's going to change the world. Hang with me. Don't be afraid. You won't be disappointed if you keep Mary. You won't be disappointed if you play the role of the father. My guess is that Joe never was disappointed. Joseph, he probably lost his reputation in the community because of what everyone else thought might have happened. Joseph lost the plans that he had laid out for his life with Mary in a totally different direction. But do you think for one moment that Joseph ever regretted getting to watch his son grow up to become his savior? What a story. How blessed we are to be a part of this family. To know that Jesus Christ came for you and for me. We are, we are in God's unfolding plan and sometimes we're not quite sure what's going on and how it's playing out. And we're called, as Joseph was, to lean into the story of God and not be afraid. Be willing to change your plans for the glory of God and consistently, always, every day, put your hope in Jesus Christ. He is the one who will make all things new. He will change your life. It will be only for the better. Joseph discovered that along the way, and we can too. Because see, what we find in verse 23 is the reality of who Jesus is called. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is Hebrew, but transliterated means God is with us. And this morning, I want to remind you that in this holiday season and beyond, Jesus Christ is with you. He's walking with you even when you don't have the answers. So we listen to the angel and he says, don't be afraid. You've got a God that loves you. Be willing to change your plans for the sake of Jesus Christ. And always put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. And what's really cool is this morning we've got uh, one young man, Jose, he's going to put his Lord on in baptism right after we're done here. Yeah. We're going to have the lid off of that uh, baptistry. We're already going to be wet, so I'm sure there's more of you here that want to make that decision. But as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe there's something going on in your life that you're just not sure of. That You need some encouragement, some comfort in. Go seek out one of our shepherd couples. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them remind you that Jesus Christ is with you, and we are too. You are not in this thing alone. But maybe like Jose, you think this is the year of gifting. And the gift I'm going to give myself is to be baptized into Jesus Christ, raised a brand new creation with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to start this season off right. I want to fully give myself to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. If so, man, we'll meet you out by the baptistry afterwards. It'll be a great morning, I promise. Let's all stand and praise our Heavenly Father for what he's done for us.